Hello and welcome back to Flights Through Allegasia. I'm here, Chip, and with my co-host Armin. Uh, as a recap, real quick, what's happening in the story is Aragon's egg hatched. Apparently, he is now a mother, I mean father, of a dragon. Yeah, and he's just kind of chilling out in his bedroom um, after hearing crazy stories from some traders and Brom, who apparently is just some storyteller, tells some crazy stories about the king and his rule over the Algazia, which is the map. So if you're following along with us, that's where we are. We're starting off with a chapter of Awakening. And here's Armin. Armin, do you have any few words before we dive in? Uh, no, it's just great to have you all with us. And uh, we're excited to keep going with the inheritance cycle. Let's get it. Yes, let's go. All right, let's dive right into it. Um, as we said, Awakening. And literally, it is Awakening. He literally just kind of <laughs> has a dragon pop out his head. And here Aragon is sitting in his bedroom. Oh, yeah. Just your generic, take care of your dragon at two in the morning. Yeah, no kidding. That's like a complete, exactly what things do. And then he goes and, oh, well, okay, it's okay. The big thing is, what I realized I was completely going to skim over if I didn't read my notes right, was he marks his hand. Yeah, yeah. And I really think that's like really funny in a way because it's like right off the bat, the the dragon was like, that guy is my bitch. <laughs> And so I'm going to mark him as mine. And so he marks him. I mean, he like practically burns him, cuts him, I guess, in a way. Yeah. And, and it's, I don't know. It was kind of interesting. So. Yeah. It was, it leaves that mark on his hand. It's just almost like a, it's like some like white oval thing on his hand, not in the inside of his palm that he just, it's there. The dra- yeah. I'm not sure if the dragon bit him or like, it didn't really specify. I think it, I think it's from his scales. I think yeah. it, like it like it nudges him and his scale is like like the connection between the flesh of Aragon and the scales of the dragon are what cause it to cause that cut, burn, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then Aragon's just like, cool, I got marked and uh let me go grab you some food. And I thought it was just really funny. <laughs> I had to note this down, like, yes, let all dragons be meat eaters. Don't even mm. ask or think about it if it's a vegetarian. <laughs> Let's go grab it some raw meat. Hey man, you see them. <laughs> see them teeth it meat only yeah that's true that's true i didn't think about that that is definitely accurate <laughs> but uh i love he just like goes to his house just grabs some raw meat that's just hanging out in his house yes <laughs> just, feeds like, the dragon. yeah they did get a lot of it because horse did buy a bunch for them so i really think it's like okay as someone as i as we've read in their situation like the family, the family as a whole. I'm surprised that like Garo wasn't like didn't like notice some meat missing from. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. just in general. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I get like he's not like doesn't go into like the freezer and count each piece of meat every day and like take inventory. But like, do you hear the amount of meat that Aragon steals or takes and just like? Yeah, I would get suspicious. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. talk about not being slick at all. So Aragon's feeding his dragon in his bedroom, uh, of course. Uh, and then as I like one how, does. huh? As one does, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and then so he's after you know hearing the stories from Brahm in the previous chapter about the dragon riders. He's just like automatically, I'm going to become a dragon rider. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, somebody has a high opinion of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's another shade in the making. Oh God, <laughs> That'd be horrible. Um, 
but he's just like, yeah, I'm going to be a dragon rider because I have a dragon and there's a dragon chilling on his bed and this man's going to ride it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, at this time, he has no knowledge whether this dragon, like, whether this dragon can breathe fire or burn him, burn him down. Exactly. Like, completely just like roast him right then and there, which I think was really funny because in the last episode I was talking and we made a joke about how like the next chapter, this one was him after seeing the dragon, just grabbing his sword and chopping off the dragon's head. Oh my God. Talk about a twist of events, but that would be the same <laughs> twist of events here. It's like the dragon just burned Aragon alive. Just like, okay, Aragon's done. Yeah. Um, Joke's on you. The story's about the dragon. Exactly. Aragon is dead now. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> you thought. <laughs> so, and then moving on, I mean, he just doesn't know what to do. I mean, I guess if I was in that situation, I'd probably end up doing the same thing, but like he builds the dragon like a lean to. And was it a lean to? I thought it was like a hole in a tree. That was my understanding. Well, initially it is, but then okay. like as the dragon grows, he like he like tries to build a lean to in just some random tree in the forest, and okay. uh, which I guess there's not really a better place for the dragon than the forest. Well, no, no. Let's cover you know surround a dragon that could possibly breathe fire with wood. I mean, obviously, it's not the dragon that people have to worry about. It's the shade that just That's burns true. rings of fire. And yeah, everything. no kidding. Causing freaking California to burn down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. okay. Which I think is really funny because you hear about, like, the angstiness of, like, and, like, the stupidity of him, like, big explosion in the forest that's ancient and mysterious and barely anyone comes out alive. And then you grab this rock. And the, which later is obviously the egg and here you are being smart about building this dragon a hut Aragon's like knowledge and common sense i guess common sense isn't there but his like survival skill is yeah that's about I mean, it he's like like we said uh in the last episode he's a hunter so like he does have the general survival skills he spends most of his time hunting in the woods this happened this could happen with sort of any story is the general like what am i going to do with this myth mythical beast that i just found yeah um so i mean like i guess he does all right and he just, like lets the dragon hunt in the woods so he doesn't have to like you know steal vast amounts of meat to um feed it oh hilarious um, just like like opens up the cellar or something it's just like uh where's the meat man yeah just like oh, i don't know rob sloan the butcher of just everything yeah. um yeah so there's a dragon chilling in the woods and Natural. uh yeah and uh well i think it begins to hint at the sort of like the pull like the bond almost telepathy between okay. aragon and the dragon right. um it's like the brush of the conscience yeah yeah like they're yeah. not talking to each other they will they right. definitely will um but like i guess is that your that, prediction at the time yeah okay yeah the prediction like i was definitely that sort of they'll at least be able to instinctively feel one another's emotions right um but i'm imagining that that is sort of the result of aragon being marked is that bond um because okay. well one that's sort of how it goes in stories but it's also like it, it makes sense um right. but i want i'm definitely looking forward to seeing that bond grow and seeing his relationship with the dragon because right now he's a caretaker but when the dragon grows up it'll be interesting to see how aragon views it and how they interact i don't have anything to relate it to you know what i mean i can't be like yeah i remember my dog got in my brain <laughs> and yeah yeah. Started talking to me. Like I don't have anything to like relate to. I like if I started feeling, I guess I'm not gonna be aware like someone else's conscience present 
in my head. It'd shock me. I'd be a little yeah. bit worried, I think. I think rightfully I should be. <laughs> like um, voices in your head just Yeah. <laughs> um, Jimmy, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um that's also interesting, like when I believe the end of Awakening is um when the dragon just sort of like telepathically sends the word Aragon into Aragon's head. Is that um, the end of that one? I think so, yeah. Um yeah, so at the end yeah, of yeah, Awakening, the dragon like says Aragon and Aragon's yeah. head, which I was curious about because Aragon never like says his name, his own name. There's no, no. Way, which either means that that was an oversight or that they're gonna, they're like actual like mm-hmm. minds and personalities are gonna become intertwined. I didn't even think about that. I There's guess the no, only thought process that the dragon could have happened is the dragon. It got in his brain as he was talking to like Garo or Garo or Roran and like they said his name but that'd still be um like if the if the dragon could hear how somebody called Aragon then that would still as Aragon was talking to them that would still be um there'd be in each other's heads to put it lightly right I guess I guess I was misunderstanding what you mean by like intertwined are you meaning like they're just inside each other's head, or do you mean like they are one soul? I guess maybe less of the one soul, but I definitely think that with this bond, that they'll they're mostly emotions, since that's I guess the more um, raw sort of bond. But they'll definitely be influenced by each other's thoughts and emotions as a prediction, right? That makes um, sense. But I, that's definitely something I'm really looking forward to seeing develop. Is that sort of that connection between Aragon and the dragon? Yeah, I'd like to see where that goes. Or when I read it, I definitely was like, "Huh, that's interesting." But I definitely did not make any of the connections that Armin does. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh man, this dragon gets inside his head. Cool." And I kept on reading. Literally, I picked up this book because my siblings read it, and I was just like, "Dragons on the front. It must be badass." Exactly. And so that's why I started reading it, and I was really bad at reading, and so it didn't really comprehend anything. But I thought the story was cool. Uh, <laughs> And then I kind of stopped after the first book because that's usually what I do with series. I just don't like reading. <laughs> so, but back to the story of this, the whole point of this. Um, Aragorn lets the dragon just fly around. Oh my God. Oh and my God. hunt. <laughs> and like, I, I get that, but like, it shows so much confidence of Aragorn and the dragon. Yeah. That I don't think you should have right off the bat. Well, I mean, there's the point of them being marked and bonded. It's kind of assumed by the reader and I think by the author that they're connected and that the dragon won't like, you know, leave. But Aragon, I think it's a bit of an oversight. Aragon knows nothing about how dragons work. Yeah. Um, or at least he shouldn't. He acts like he does. But he like dragons are supposed to be these mythical things that no one has seen in centuries or that are extremely uncommon and he's just like he just assumes that the dragon will hunt on its own he assumes that the dragon will be there when he comes back and that kid is so lucky that there's a dragon flying around like how does no one see that (laughs) there's a dragon flying around the woods like a league from the main village and nobody sees that. Yeah, um, no, it's it's kind of incredible. Or it does mention earlier in the book that they're like 10 miles from 
Yeah, account. but like, think about it. So you know, in Skyrim. Um, okay, man, we're bringing a whole nother topic. Yes, okay, we're bringing Skyrim into this. So okay. in Skyrim, you know, like you're just walking, moving around, and you like yeah. see this dragon off in the distance, and you like the rumble when the yeah, dragon but, but, over your head. But the dragon that Aragorn has is that big. Not yet, but it gets big. It gets big. Yes, fast. but it's not that big yet true but at the same time if something's flying over like the woods then like <laughs> you gotta remember okay so the spine the spine are a mountain forest combination right yeah and so what you gotta realize is carver hall is in a valley yeah and so what happens is when Aragon goes up the hill mountain and he goes into the woods Sephira goes farther into the woods and back behind the mountains so the mountains are covering the dragon anyway Okay. Yeah. Still, it's still, especially, especially Garrow and Roran. Like, especially they work the farm. They're out in the fields all day, and there's a dragon just hunting around their house. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense, and it's more convenient than anything else. The dragon doesn't get seen. But yeah, obviously that'd be a different story. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so uh, I saw this dragon. Whose is it? Anyone? Uh, going once, going twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sword. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I guess it, it is just a coincidence that Pelini makes it where the the dragon is not seen at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And just to clear things up, I have a question. Um, yeah. At the end of Awakening, when the dragon says his name. Uh, I think does he run? Like, okay, he, I don't think he runs. I think he just kind of like it. my notes were like, "Cool, this dragon said its first words. It's my name." Okay, oh shit, run! Like, I think that was my <laughs> thought process. I don't okay, think Aragon yeah. actually ran. I, I think one of my notes that you were reading is like he didn't run. He was just like, yeah, that that'll be my. I'd be scared. I'd be like, oh my god, this thing knows. But especially like you mentioned earlier, he never mentions his name. Yeah. Yeah, so that would, that would scare me. If that happened to me, I probably wouldn't even like realize that it was the dragon. I'd just be like, it'd just be like the Almighty just talking to me, just like, <laughs> yes, God, Armin. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, Pursue the Holy Grail. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I guess Aragon's smarter than us. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand Aragon's schooling knowledge at all. He, yeah, he's just stupid, surviving. I don't even know how to describe him. He's just a, a unique individual. Um, the, uh, back to the story. Um, going to the next chapter, I like how Aragon is just like, find the dude who knows the most about this stuff. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, once again, I've mentioned this last episode. It's kind of implied that Aragon goes to Brahm a lot. Because um, when he goes there, at the end of their conversation, Brom says, I thought you would have had more questions. You usually spend all day talking to me. Um, there's something along those lines. So it's sort of already assumed that Aragon trusts and is familiar with Brom, which means, means that Aragon automatically trusts everything that Brom says. Um, and I also think we learned in the last chapters, I'm trying to remember when we learned it. If it's later in the chapters, sorry, everybody. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> We learned that that Brom moved there shortly after Aragon was born, because he says he's only been there for fifteen years or so, mm. and Aragon's sixteen. Oh, that's yeah. another thing. I, I realize this in like the fantasy world, 
apparently 17 is a magic number. I mean, Harry Potter, to become of age, you're 17. This book, you'd have to be 17 to be a man. I, I, I just, I don't know. That was some random fact that I thought of and completely forgot to talk about the last episode, I guess. It's because everybody who's below the age of 17 thinks that when they're 17, they'll be a man. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I thought that too. So that's fair. I'm going to. Yep. Know. All right. Cool enough. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, uh, but no, Aragon goes straight to Brom, and like you said, that definitely shows a a level of trust that he has with Brom that I would hope to see more of when I read the book. Yeah. So what we learned from Brom is um, a lot a of lot. Ex- a lot of exposition and like history of the world, which we need to go f- very deep into. Because Brom talks about sort of the backstory of how the Dragon Riders came to be with like the elf dragon war. And I thought it was extremely interesting that the there's really no native of Alagazia. It's the dwarves were, weren't they? The dwarves are. Um, which is interesting because there's not much of a dwarven presence. Which we I, learned why. Oh yes. Um I don't remember off the top of my head. I believe they like sealed themselves away. But at the same time, you'd assume you'd think that there'd be more if the dwarves are the natives of the land, you'd assume that there'd be more influence but that might be for a later chapter or a later book but with the dragon elf war uh the elves coming in um uh basically inhabiting alagazia and erupting into war with the dragons because no one could communicate with them first of all love backstories like that i think they're really good and i really do it's something i want to sorry sorry to interrupt i don't (laughs) i think something Polini does really well is he makes it within the story to draw the backstory that we need out exactly when reading i'm going to use it again harry potter again i love harry potter so don't think i don't but a big thing that jk does almost every single book is she goes she describes harry potter she describes where he lives he and i get if you have read harry potter you understand if you haven't you should and this is a spoiler, so unplug your ears. I don't know. But the point is, the reason she describes why or describes the situation of Harry being there is, you know, the whole to keep his mother's charm on him until he turns of age. The The big thing is, is she does it so much. And, and I don't think she ever really does a good job of connecting a plot point like Paulini does here into the story that we need to hear. So with Pellini, with this and the Paulini, Paulini, with this situation, he has a really good job of, okay, Aragon, egg hatched. Here's a dragon. What the fuck do I do? Oh, Brom knows. Let's go to Brom. And but yeah. we already know Brom knows a lot because of a previous thing of him being a storyteller. So it's a really well-rounded way of doing it. And with at such a young age, it's impressive. Oh yeah. yeah. So that yeah, I, um... I was very surprised. That style of introducing information as we need it is, well, first of all, awesome. Um, it works very well with the story. It sort of, it's always better when the reader learns as the character learns. Yeah. Um, or at least, once again, this is all my opinion. Uh, if you disagree, uh, feel free to feel free to um, just say something along those lines. But um, it's always it helps the story for readers to learn what the character learns um so 
it just gives a bit more insight to the character themselves. You're right. We learn about this history, not in the beginning, not in like a prologue where like in the beginning, the elves came and fought with the dragons. We learn well, it Lord as of the we, Rings. Yeah. And I mean, like that works because that Lord of the Rings is kind of an after effect of that story works in that scenario. But here it's um, it just makes the story flow a bit better that we learn about this history as Aragon does when it becomes relevant. I did really appreciate that that background and that um, lore, essentially. Um, but that is not the only thing that Brom tells him. Definitely not. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Aragon's name. Um, oh, yeah. From the beginning of when Brom starts talking. The name of, what was it, the first dragon rider? Yeah. Um, which, what, what did you think of that? Okay. Because... Okay, with what I know, because I've read the book, for those who decided to start on episode two of this podcast, I've read the book. I don't know why you'd start on episode two. That's just dumb because this is a journey. <laughs> but I've read this book, so I know what happens and everything. My When I first read the book, though, I was, I was young and didn't really have good reading comprehension. But my thought process, as if I was reading for the first time now, is I really wanted to know how, who gave him this name and why. Because it's it was such a parallel it's it's the iconic parallel of oh here's the first writer and our main character is a writer also and so my thought process is like is he is he a descendant is he is who his parents are you know great 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 you know descendants of him and, and so it's that theory or that line i don't really remember when and where it mentions it but, you know, we're told that Aragon's dropped off at a very young age because he's, you know, raised by his uncle and cousin. Did they give him the name? You know, like, like did he have the name before? And I don't remember where it mentions it, if it was in the chapters in this episode or if it's in the chapters of the next episode that we have read and just haven't gotten to yet. I believe it explains that um, his mother disappeared, uh, right. his uncle's sister, and she came back like, I think it described it, she came back like very dressed very richly. Give birth to Aragon and then dipped again. Wow, great sister. So, and but I believe she was the one who named him Aragon. Okay. With Aragon's namesake as the first dragon rider, I, there's just a lot of different stuff we can take from that. One is that between his mother and his namesake, his dad's definitely an elf. Just prediction right there. Okay. Uh, Aragon's father is completely unmentioned. Yeah. I, I think he's an elf. Or depending on what we know about shades, if shades are like fallen elves or fallen people, it might be the shade. Huh. You think Aragon's father is a shade? Well, I don't know enough about shades to make a prediction like about right, what they right. are. I didn't think about that. That would definitely help. Sorry. That would definitely help in his hunting abilities. That would be insane. Because he does, because remember <laughs> in the beginning, it mentions how like superhuman the shade is. Mm -hmm. and then it goes right into Aragon being a good hunter so well I wasn't sure about like the shade like being fathering Aragon as a shade I, I don't know if shades are like born shades or if they like fall and become shades um, right. there's just not enough information to tell but that would be extremely interesting if Aragon's father was the shade I think that'd be just hilarious it would be pretty funny yeah <laughs> but hey so you remember the bad guy that you know has anger issues yeah that's your father yeah <laughs> just you know from star horse luke yes <laughs> perfect i i still think his dad's an elf but with his namesake i was a little disappointed 
and I don't mean to knock on Paolini. It's just personal preference entirely is when I don't like characters to be defined by fate because it limits so much about the character. There's really, when you have a namesake like Aragon's and it becomes a fate, it limits the character to either overcoming that fate or fulfilling that fate. Okay. It just sort of limits your options. Um and of course, there's ways the authors have done it in the past that it is works fantastically. Just for personal preference, I don't really like the idea of Aragon repeating the steps of his namesake because there's so much more that you can do with this situation. I don't think that Paolini would have brought that up unless it was important. Okay. Um, like the only reason to make Aragon's namesake the first Dragon Rider is to have some point of plot come back to it later. Yeah. Aside from that, there's really no other purpose. Hopefully that won't become like a domineering point of the story. I I would hope not to. I mean, I see where you're coming at. And I feel like, okay, if it was one book, because we know there's four books. If it was one book, because I don't remember anything in the past after the first book, I would be surprised if he made it that, it made it the fate of that. In the four books, granted, you know, Harry Potter's fate came after seven books, but it wasn't all based off his name. It wasn't based off this one. Uh, it wasn't based off of such a small uh, key point that restricted his character development in the books. Yeah. Time. Whereas this one's like, as we mentioned, like his name is powerful. His he's a he has a dragon, and you know he's gonna be a dragon rider. Some assumingly, you know, hey, that's. That's his life now. I, you know, you know, there it is. And we you know we hear from earlier, you know, Gabatorix being the big bad king that's been there for centuries, apparently. And so it's all laid out for him a little bit in a way. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is which is annoying. I just I understand your view. His choices have less of an impact. Exactly. Um, and that is always like one of the things that makes protagonists, especially heroes, so dimensional is their choices and how their choices affect the story and the people around them. Right. But if this is laid out to like Aragon's fate or his namesake, um, or even I doubt this, or even like sort of a reincarnation of the first Aragon, which is a possibility, it will severely take away from the impact of his choices. And as we've discovered so far, Aragon is not great at making choices. No, he is. Um, yeah. No, don't even get me started. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that just pisses me off aragon yeah they'll definitely we'll definitely see more of sort of his namesake later on yeah um so it'll be interesting to see where that goes maybe it'll be completely new and different yeah uh, so after hearing this big general background exposition right yeah exposition what what are your thoughts on braun do you still not trust him i know that was something you felt last episode when we when we got introduced to him being a big storyteller and everything is he just kind of still someone you're you're hesitant about is he grown on to you like where are you at with him okay so well when you're reading this i know you read i'm sorry i know sorry to interrupt i know you <laughs> i know you read farther too but when you're at this point you know what were your thoughts when i was at this point i actually distrusted him more okay. um because in a lot of stories there's a character that sort of is there has to be a character that's knowledgeable that can give information so that the reader's not completely lost. But also in a lot of stories, that character is a little more fleshed out so that we understand that character and why he knows why he, she, they know so much. 
Okay. Um, with Brom, I don't like that his background is so vague. Now, I understand that that might be intentional and that um, Paolini will revisit Brom's back, background um, okay. later on in the story as like a plot device. But as of now, Brom knows entirely too much about dragons and history, like history, I would understand. Lore would be fine um, because there's, you know, historians and people would actually study that documented history. But for actual dragons, especially since Brom wants wants to know the name of the merchant that um, Aragon makes up from where he learned this stuff. Right. Brom's interest in the merchant is what mostly makes me still distrust him because I think he's hiding something, first of all, because if he knows so much about dragons and he, Aragon asks him about them marking or telepathy um, and Brom completely says, no, that's not a thing. If Brom knows so much about dragons and knows so much about lore and knows so much about the dragon riders, that felt like a lie. Especially I feel since... Like, I, Sorry, I see what you're saying, but I feel that like Brom, when I read it, I, I, when, I, when I read it and think about it, my, my thoughts go to, man, this guy just is a book nerd to the extent growing up. And and I get it. We don't really know how old Brom is. Uh, we get his kind of description of an older gentleman, you know, uh, almost old man figure type thing. Uh, but uh, he, this, this, the things he knows, I mean, even knowing dragons, there has to be, there has to be books about dragons from the dragon writers to begin with. And, and so I feel like there could have been books that are so detailed that he knows it and he just wanted to study it so much. That's what he did. And he became the great storyteller he is. That's what, that was my uh, big prediction when, when I was reading the book the first time. That would make sense. And um, again, that, this is why Armin is much better at predicting things, and I'm just kind of over here <laughs> clueless. No, no, that, details. Like, that makes perfect sense, and that very well could be the case. The only reason why I still think that it might not be is because of how it's delivered. And once again, this is assuming that Palini did everything with the exact intent to do it exactly that way. But if that is the case, then first of all, Brahms' interest in the um and the merchant that Aragon makes up who told him that dragons and humans have telepathy Brahm's interest in that merchant after he negated that idea shows that um he is looking to either learn more from that person right um, which would make sense given your description of him or he's looking to silence that person because the way Brom negates that and his interest afterwards, if someone disagrees with something that someone else says, they just disregard it. And I feel like if Brom actually legitimately thought that wasn't a thing, he would simply say, no, that's not a thing. Don't trust that merchant. That would be so much easier than trying to find out who the merchant is. And since Aragon already trusts Brom, all Brom has to do is say, no, don't listen to that. So I think Brom is knows more than he's telling at the very least okay and i think brom has at this point i was thinking that brom definitely has more experience with dragons than he's letting on and he could just be an old journalist dude he could be he very just, well could be and here is brom on 11 o'clock news <laughs> so there's this dragon well he could be i just don't think so okay. um, just because of how just because of how it's delivered in that conversation between aragon and brom and how Brom keeps on bringing up uh, Aragon's story. 
because he, he in the next uh, few chapters, he like continually asks Aragon who the person that told you that was. So Brom definitely knows more than he's telling. Right. And he's definitely analyzing Aragon. Yeah, um, that's a big that's a big thing that we realize about Brom is he I mean he like hones in on Aragon on oh, yeah. every little aspect, you know, down to the the merchant quotation marks that a merchant that was, you know, told about to little things here and there. And I remember him asking Aragon specifically, he asks about all these these things that are so honestly dumb to ask. I mean like the, his questions are like, so how big does a dragon get? You know, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. You know, when do they <laughs> start breathing fire? I'm asking for a friend. Like, yeah. it, it's like, in my eyes, it was so obvious, even as a little boy, when I was reading that, like, this 16-year-old boy is being really bad at asking Oh yeah, not, good yeah. questions. I mean, he's asking questions that need to be known, but not in a well-mannered way. Yeah, Holmes ain't slick. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, I think the way that Brom handled that, that's sort of like analyzing Aragon and knowingly letting Aragon go yeah. and knowingly sort of, I think sort of get the feeling that Brom, since he knows more than he's letting on is not an honest character that, or he has his own motivations not to do so, um, okay. which wouldn't necessarily make him bad, but I definitely think he's not just a simple storyteller. I remember last episode, you're sticking to the prediction of uh, uh, he was an, um, an ex writer. Is that something yeah. you're still sticking to? Yes. Okay. Uh, even more so because okay. once again, especially since the whole Galbatorix thing, which was hundreds of years ago, Brom, the only knowledge Brom would have of dragons would be from a dragon. And the reason I could think of a plausible reason why Brom would lie to Aragon about telepathy would be to cover the fact that he knows about it and he's a writer. Since writers okay. are essentially banned yeah um with that with that knowledge or with that prediction and him you discussing that he knows how to do it because you think he is an ex-writer do you think he has a dragon Ooh, logically no hopefully yes okay um, so if brahm has a dragon either it's it has to be away, obviously. It can't be chilling around the village because it's huge. Um, yeah. So either it's somewhere in the spine or it's somewhere elsewhere. But I think... I imagine, like, I really imagine, like, in Dragon, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, the yes. island from the... When he goes <laughs> with his mother, there's, like, all these dragons just chilling out. <laughs> yeah. I think with the political pressures, if Brahm still had a dragon, he would not be telling stories about Galbatorix in villages okay um that would be a very bad career move if you're being hunted for what you are um so i think if he is i think he's an ex-writer whose dragon got killed okay uh, doesn't he tell the story of how the writer and the dragon only live like together and like so therefore the dragon will live as long as the writer does or is it uh, i guess my i guess my question is if the dragon dies can the writer still live forever and if the rider dies, does the dragon die right away? Okay. You're, I forgot about that point. I have no idea. That honestly, because once again, it's easy to trust sources of information this early in a book. That's um, true. It's easy to trust the exposition. Also true. <laughs> but 
there is always the chance that they're flat out lying. Now, I mean, I don't think Brom's flat out lying here. I think he just knows more than he than he's telling and is not willing to share that information. So I don't think he's flat out lying. But you're right. If that's the case, then his dragon should be somewhere, um, yeah. either imprisoned or nearby or something like that. Well, he also goes to describe that you know Galvatorix will kill every dragon as long as it doesn't serve him. So I don't think the dragon would be imprisoned. Yeah. So it must be again, far away. This is assuming that Brahm is a rider, but if Brahm is a dragon rider and his dragon is still alive and he's yeah. still alive, Brahm could be working for Galvatorix. Ooh. I was considering that as like, um, especially with the story, Brahm definitely has some connection to Galvatorix because um, Brahm's story about Galvatorix is much more personal. Right. Um, it is very personal and the hatred in it is obvious, which is either clearly faked as a cover. Right. Which characters have done and can do. Which yeah, might easily. be a bit too conspiracy theory, but still could happen. Could happen. Or he has some personal blood feud with Galvatorix. But there's definitely a connection between the two, which once again points to Brom being a writer. Yeah. Well that was spent, you know, almost our whole time. Freaking 40 minutes probably on that of the story of Brom <laughs> trying to describe stuff. I'm trying to think what, what are the big things that did Brom say? Um, oh, obviously the names. Names. And, you know, Brom, yeah. you know, Brom starts listening off the names. And um, so, what? Okay, as some of the names that he listed, if you can remember them at, at all, I know I don't. Which one did you like? Oh, man. I'm going to have to look at this. I cannot remember the okay. names that he listed. The only one that I'd say. And this is, of course, this happens. Is the one he, you know, he pauses at the very end, and like sort of a look comes over him, and then he Easily. says, "Safira." I and of course, Aragon ends up naming the dragon Safira, or the dragon chooses the name Safira. That's once again, first of all, horrible over or horrible foreshadowing that is rampant um, in these chapters, because. Um, that's just once again, Brom having having reservations about the name Sephira, and then the dragon choosing the name Sephira just points once again to some connection of Brom and dragons, and some personality that's going to define, or some circumstance that's going to define Sephira and therefore Aragon. Going back to that sort of fate thing we were talking about, Pelini is like very eager to get whatever he wants done to oh, yeah. start. Oh yeah, like he's like. And he does a great job of. I, I mean, if you look at it in the broad spectrum, we've we've only read about a hundred pages mm. of his book, and he does, and that's pretty good to keep it in that town for the hundred pages, as eager as he is. Um, I'm looking over some of the names right now. I think my favorite was Galzar, Galzar Abrium. That's cool. If I'm saying that wrong. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't listen to the audiobooks, so I don't know how exactly how to pronounce things. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick from any of those names, I'd probably go with Hirador. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, those names in fantasy is are just fantastic. Um, that's like the most fun thing about writing fantasy is just coming up with the names. So, um, yeah. Speaking of names, our last chapter is a name of power. Um, exactly. Which. Once again, the foreshadowing is just... That's that's one thing I've always kind of disliked about some titles of chapters. It's so 
blatantly obvious what's happening. But beside the point, the point is that this chapter doesn't start off with a name. It starts off with <laughs> Roran being a jerk and saying that he is going to accept a job that it, it pretty much just leaves Aragorn. Yeah, but at the same yeah, he does. But like Aragorn takes that and runs with it. Because like Roran's like thinking about his life, man. Like he's yeah, but like, like life, family, like um, well, I guess I okay, get well imagine you're 16 and imagine you don't have any of your parents you only live with a cousin and an uncle yeah and then the closest person like the person you're most close with says he's gonna peace out like i I'd, I'd be i would i don't think i'd take it and run with it like aragon does like you said but i definitely would be taken aback oh yeah like i'd definitely be sad i'd definitely be a little mad at that person but at the same time you know he's not it's not like he's never gonna see him again because like Roran is not is like the next like the neighboring village is where Roran is going. Like it's, <laughs> not, that, it's not that bad. Yeah. Like um, so I mean, yeah, Roran's running off to get married and go have a life as being his own worker. But well, he's um, he's he's going to work for money to get married. Yeah. But yeah, still, yeah. I mean but yeah, and there is that separation, that brother conflict that had to happen to make Aragon's life left less You predicted perfect. it. You got it. Yeah, it was... Inevitable. Yes, that's how it had to go. Um, just to make some conflict in Aragon's life that made him... That motivated him to leave more. Yeah. So I'm glad that it wasn't like them actually fighting. Because I always like brother stories. But... Uh, For those who don't know, Armin does have an older brother. Yes. So, so do I. Uh, yeah, so I do like brother stories. And I'm glad it didn't leave... It didn't end with them fighting or... Um, Roran dying so far. Yeah. So Although far. since Roran's leaving, I think that's less likely. <laughs> um, you guys can't see me. I just made it like a uh, uh, face <laughs> kind of thing to throw off the throw off a hint, man. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. Well, hopefully, Roran won't die. Uh, honestly, I don't remember if he does or not. Yeah, like he was. Yeah. <laughs> um. It, it, from my from my memory, he's. He doesn't play a big role in this book. So I don't know if he comes back in the other book, is what I'm saying. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and then we kind of like get Aragon's like, paranoid 16 year old boy self <laughs> when he goes and talks to Safira about it. Yeah. And I, I think it's more accurate to say that Safira chose that name because the dragon kind of rejected the other ones that chose Aragon... the name Safira. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we got, sorry, before we get to there, I was I was talking more about like, Aragon comes in paranoid and annoyed that like his cousin's leaving, mm-hmm. and just like pretty much goes like on a rant. Oh yeah, that man, that man, like he he just goes. Yeah, he, yeah, he just like, <laughs> yeah, and like I guess like you said, he took it and ran with it, and like and not just ran with it, he sprinted with it. Like, he, oh yeah, he hauled ass with it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah no, no so they continued yes then the names names came and i thought it was a really good humor of of uh paulini to go uh list all these male names and then yeah, and then yeah, aragon yeah. go wait a second <laughs> you're a girl and that reminds me of that part in shrek oh yeah <laughs> when, when the donkey's like oh you're a female dragon yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How lovely. <laughs> that oh, was like nice tea you have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So, I, that's exactly what I thought of when I reread it. Because I, 
That was like, great. <laughs> that was like that is exactly what it looks seems like from Shrek. Yeah. 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 But a big prediction is they like, name this chapter a name of power. Oh god. <laughs> and it, well my 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 theory is what's the I guess not theory, but my question is what what power does Safira have? Like what's the what's the power of the name Saf- you know what I mean? Like where does that come in? I mean I got my prediction is like it's just like that's some well known old dragon, I guess, and shit. And that, that dragon was like the biggest, baddest dragon of all and so the name of power is that's what it is, you know? But I don't know. There's still there's still a lot to learn. Like a lot about this world hasn't been specified. And that's true. Um, we were still stuck in Carver Hall, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, magic has not been specified yet. Like power, how magic is used. The only taste of magic that we've gotten has been from the shade who just throws fireballs around. The dra- if you count telepathy as the magic, then that. Um, okay. We still don't know sort of like what powers humans can wield, what powers dragons have. So like we still haven't been introduced to like the mechanisms of magic yet. Any other predictions when you're done reading this chapter? Um, no, I. It's pretty. It was pretty well rounded and shaped in. Yeah, it was. It wrapped up nicely in a little bow. Yeah. Um, except for the roaring part, but again, that was foreseen, I guess. Yeah. So. I think it was, I, I want to see Aragon and Saphira's relationship grow. And I assume right now I feel like it's like a one-sided, like, Oh, it's very one-sided, one-sided that... bitch relationship. And Aragon's <laughs> just going off on all these tantrums. Yeah. If you're ever in a relationship like that, get out. Um, <laughs> but, um, you heard it. Relationship advice from Armin. <laughs> but um, yeah, I want to see that grow. And I'm assuming that, that I'm assuming that that will happen um, in the next few chapters. Um, if you're reading along, be stopped, obviously, at the name of power, and we'll pick up from there. If you have any other predictions, please leave us a note or anything and send us your comments. If there's things that we didn't touch up, please let us know. Uh, we'd be glad to go back and talk about them, or we'd be glad to at least acknowledge in our next episode or something with the following notes. Uh, we are trying to get these first three episodes out there to start off and so i really appreciate you guys listening again uh to the second one and bearing with us as this is our first podcast and we're working on becoming better at editing and all the jazzes of podcasting and becoming pros at it but uh i think that's enough for me armin you have anything else you want to say no take care y'all that's about it all right well i'll see you on the flip side bye Flight to Allegasia is created by Chip. It is hosted by Chip and Armin. It is produced by Chip. It is edited by Chip. Music is by David Felician. The website of flights to Allegasia.godaddysites.com is created by Chip. If you'd like to reach out and contact us, we do have our own Facebook page of Flights to Allegasia. If you'd like to show support, go to patreon.com slash flights to Allegasia. We would love the support. With your support, we're going to make sure that you can get the best content available. As we are a new podcast, we're trying to branch out and make sure that we can reach everyone and make sure everyone enjoys it. We want to make sure that people are always happy with what they're getting and no one feels left out. So please go ahead and slide on over to patreon.com slash flights through Allegasia.
We'd love for you to leave reviews, especially on iTunes Podcasts, as that does help us grow to the top of the list. One of our big goals is to make sure that Christopher Pellini actually recognizes us and wants to join our podcast one day. So please, leave us a review, hopefully good. If you don't enjoy us, please let us know why. We definitely want to make sure everyone's very happy. Again, thank you very much for listening, and have a great day.